This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 387. Hey, hey, thanks to our new sponsor, Prevenix, makers of Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. Save 15% by visiting Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X, Prevenex.com, and use the code MTA for 15% off. Thanks to Tonry Outdoors, makers of clean sun care products like SPF lip balms, mineral sunscreen, and their after-sun restorative moisturizer. Sun protection made for runners by runners. Visit tonry.com. That's T-A-N-R-I.com. And finally, thanks to our friends at UCAN. We know it can be tricky to fuel during your run or race. UCAN is famously gentle on the stomach, and it will provide you a steady release of energy to get through that workout. So try it at UCAN.co forward slash MTA and save 20% on your order. UCAN.co forward slash MTA for 20% off. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and motivate you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we take you along with us to France as we recap the beautiful and rugged Marathon du Mont Blanc in Chamonix, France. And of course, to get all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more, check out Academy Membership. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So we are in Hungary currently. I did a uh, relay race with a podcast listener, an Academy member named Chris. We'll, we'll tell you about that in the next episode, but we're having a great time here in Central Europe, even though it has been a bit hot. <laughs> yes. So just a quick update on our travels. We flew into Madrid, then we went to Tarragona, Spain, then to Avignon, France, then of course to Chamonix, where I did the Marathon du Mont Blanc, and then we went to Interlock in Switzerland, Salzburg, Budapest, and uh, after this, heading back to Austria and then to Germany. Actually, we're going to Bratislava, Slovakia after this, and then Vienna, and then Munich. And then who knows after that? <laughs> so we're a little bit out of the news, out of the loop, which is, I don't know, kind of a good thing just to take a break from the news. But we <laughs> have been keeping up with the news in the running world and the, uh, I guess, the Super Bowl of ultra marathons in the U.S. could be the Western States 100, uh, which just wrapped up recently. That's right. And the male winner from that was Adam Peterman. He's age 26. He's from Missoula, Montana, and he finished in 15 hours, 13 minutes, and 47 seconds. And what made that really amazing was that this was his debut 100-miler. And I think I read somewhere that he has won every ultra that he has entered so far. So definitely... He's up to a really good start. A really good start. Um, but to show you how unusual it is for someone to win Western States in their debut 100 miler, the last time someone did it was back in 1986. I remember that. No, you don't. <laughs> you were six. <laughs> and on the women's side of things, Ruth Croft of New Zealand won with a time of 17 hours, 21 minutes and 30 seconds. And last year, people may remember that she finished second. So came back and cleaned up with the first place finish this year. And of course, we always like to read emails and messages that we get from the community and give people props. We've been called the People's Podcast, I guess, for doing this. Uh, but we always love to hear from folks taking action and changing their lives. So Angie, what do you have for us? 
Uh, This first note comes from April, who is a member of the Social Distancing Run group. She says, I am so happy to have found this group. In January, I was at my all-time heaviest and feeling absolutely awful both physically and mentally. Since then, I've started a healthy eating program and I've lost 23 pounds. I just completed a 5K and I'm signed up for a 10K in September, a half marathon in November, and the LA Marathon next March. I love how she's progressively challenging herself here. She says, I'm now up to walking three miles a day, four days a week, and I'm feeling great. I found the MTA 100-mile challenge to help keep me motivated. I have a long way to go, but I can honestly say that I've never felt this good in many years. This note comes from Sarah. She says, about six years ago, I began running as part of a total lifestyle change that led to a 70-pound weight loss, and it completely altered the way I viewed food and fitness for the better. I fell in love with running, completed a few half marathons, and then COVID hit. In an attempt to keep up some activity, I started riding my bike to work, and one day I was hit by a car that ran a red light. I got very lucky, but recovery was still incredibly tough and took a huge toll on my mental health. About a year ago, my partner introduced me to CrossFit. After realizing that my days of fitness and my ability to be active were not behind me due to injury, I took up running again 12 weeks ago. I finished my 5K plan and signed up for my first race in July with a 10K on the schedule and my sights on a half marathon in December. I listened to MTA through all of my training years ago, and I'm so grateful to have found this group when I picked it back up a few weeks ago. This is such an inspiring and supportive community, and I can't wait to grow with you all. Well, I'm glad you were able to come back to running after all that you've been through, Sarah, and uh, good luck training for your half marathon in December. That's right. This comes from Ivar, who is an Academy member from Norway. He says, over eight weeks have passed since I took the challenge. Can even a doofus like myself learn to appreciate running? I contacted MTA and the great coach Nicole for some help. Because there is ample empirical evidence already that I cannot do this on my own, in spite of certain success in different arenas. So I've stuck with the program through a COVID infection, travel, and really crappy Norwegian weather. And here I am, enjoying my first half marathon last weekend. And now I have 13 weeks until the Berlin Marathon. Thanks for being an inspiring bunch of people. I keep reminding myself while I'm stomping along. Hey, I am here and most people aren't. Uh, Awesome. That comes from Ivar from Norway. Thank you for sharing. And yes, we can all learn to appreciate running. Just got to get out there and keep doing it. It is such a gift. And even when it sucks, it's a gift. And I like the way that he reached out for accountability because, you know, we can be successful in many areas of life, but sometimes struggle with staying accountable and motivated in our health and fitness journey. And so I, I like the fact that he knows that about himself and he is working with Coach Nicole to see him successfully to the Berlin Marathon. Yeah, that's right. We have uh, 13 coaches on our team. Also, he mentioned Nicole. She's the head coach on the team and does free consultations. If you want to look into it and see what working with the coach can do for you, we can set you up with uh, a free call with Nicole, and she can explain how the program works, and we'd love to get you well on your way to accomplishing your running goals. That's right. Well on my way, well on my way. All right, well, now it's time for one of our world-famous race recaps. I'm going to talk about the Marathon du Mont Blanc, and just as a disclaimer, I don't speak French, so please uh, pardon my mispronunciations. I might say Mount Blanc instead of saying Mont Blanc. 
Angie, you don't speak French either. I do not. (laughs) (laughs) I love how, though, like they get almost done with a word and they decide, yeah, I'm just not going to say the rest of the word. (laughs) But sometimes they're added on to the next word in a phrase. Yes. I've done a little bit of French on Duolingo and just for some basic phrases. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's very interesting how each language has its own intricacies. So I wanted to do the Marathon du Mont Blanc ever since I heard of the Tour du Mont Blanc, which is a 170-kilometer trail that circles the mountain. Of course, Mount Blanc is the highest mountain in the Alps, rising up to 4,807 meters or 15,774 feet. So this trail that goes around the whole mountain, it journeys through France, Italy, and Switzerland. Most people do it counterclockwise, and it takes between 7 to 10 days. It really is just an epic hike and I love to hike so someday I want to do the entire Tour du Mont Blanc and there are some amazing refuges you can stay in um, to break up the days yeah that's what's cool about it is you can hike from hut to hut Uh, as long as you make reservations early enough uh, we actually did a hut hike before the marathon about three days before my race we started in Les Contamines and then we hiked was about five miles to the refuge we stayed at the Refuge du Pré, and it was about $70 a person and includes dinner and breakfast and, of course, a soft, comfortable bed and a hot shower and all the stuff you get. That's right. You know what's amazing is there's a famous ultra marathon I'm sure all of you have heard of. It's called the UTMB, Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, and it's in August of this year. Like This is like the most fit ultra runners, trail runners in the world come and compete, and they'll circle the whole mountain in one go. And the cutoff I was reading is 46 hours and 30 minutes to make it all the way around 170 kilometers. They don't stop and stay at huts. (laughs) We had uh, a previous winner on the podcast, Courtney DeWalter, an American runner, uh, won it in 2019. And she did the whole mountain in uh, 24 hours and 34 minutes. And then last year, 2021, she came back and won it again, beating her previous time. She went around all 170K in 22 hours. 30 minutes, 54 seconds. Having hiked on a tiny percentage of those trails, it is just mind-blowing that people are capable of doing 170 kilometers in less than 24 hours. Yeah, it is incredible. It is. I mean, this marathon that I did, uh, when you look at the winner's time, like the dude ran it in like three and a half hours. Yeah. And it was like all I can do to finish in like 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) It really gives you an appreciation for just how fit these trail runners are that are winning these races they're basically like mountain goats in human skin so i'm so glad i had the opportunity to come to france and to run this amazing beautiful marathon i'm super thankful to my friends jamin and jen from mountains and marathons for providing a race entry to me it's really hard to get into this marathon and they had worked out a deal with the uh, race organizers prior to COVID. So they were finally able to use these race entries they had and they very generously um, gave me a race entry. So Jamin and Jen uh, run an organization called Mountains and Marathons. It's a leadership program that culminates at the end of six months in the group, uh, their, their clients either running a marathon or climbing a mountain like Kilimanjaro. It's a really neat program and we actually provide the endurance coaching for the clients So we have partnered with them uh, now for a couple of years. So actually MTA coaches are the ones writing the marathon training plans for the Mountains and Marathons team members. So anyway, so glad to have gotten a race entry. A little bit about the marathon. It starts and finishes in the beautiful town of Chamonix, France. The highest point in the race is 2,200 meters, which is 7,218 feet. The total ascent 
is 2,540 meters or 8,333 feet. And they give you 10 hours to accomplish this. Now, like I mentioned, I've done a couple marathons in the Alps. The hardest one I had done was last year in Italy. We actually had like 9,000 feet of net elevation change. And uh, so even more dramatic than the Marathon du Mont Blanc. So I thought, yeah, there's no problem. You know, we got 10 hours to finish. I, I'll have no problem finishing. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> now we had our kids with us. So Angie did not run. She was kind enough to stay with the kids while I did this marathon. But Angie, right here, we're looking at a map of the course profile, and how would you describe it? Um, sort of like a heart rate monitor. <laughs> like very jagged, lots of up, uh, drastic downs, and then more up. <laughs> and exactly. then another drastic down toward the very end. Yeah. The day before the race, we took the whole family up in a cable car to a spot um, along the course and rode like straight up this mountain and we're seeing like this path that is zigzagging up the mountain. Yeah. And, you know, there's some people who are hiking up. There's some runners who are running down because the day before they had the half marathon and the 10K, the 90K was supposed to happen on Friday and that was canceled due to bad weather. So we're riding up in this cable car and just seeing how steep this course is. For me, it was like, wow, that is intense. It's like a reality check for me. Yeah, I know. I was kind of thinking, <laughs> like, is this even a good thing to do? Because sometimes driving like a race course can actually psych you out a little bit because you're like, this is actually a really long way in a car, yeah. you know, and I have to run this the next day. <laughs> so here's what it says on the race website. To participate in this race, it's recommended to have good mountain race experience and to be comfortable in any ground and to be autonomous for several hours. So no hand-holding. <laughs> and uh, they did make us bring the following equipment. So this is under the mandatory equipment. I guess they could have checked you at any time, and you had to be able to show that you had a phone, a reserve of at least half a liter of water, a waterproof and windproof jacket, and it says, adapted to your size. <laughs> so you can't carry like a kid's jacket and say, I got my jacket. <laughs> Survival blanket, whistle, a personal cup, and a mask. I also had to upload a medical certificate from my doctor, and I had to have search and rescue insurance. They didn't check for the insurance, but supposedly it was required, and I had it. Good, because I don't want to pay out of pocket for bringing you off the mountain. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you're not a stranger to marathons in the mountains. In fact, you know, you did the one in the Alps last year in Italy, and you knew how challenging it would be. How did you train for this particular marathon given the fact that you knew it would be challenging. Yeah, I do love running in the Alps. So we live in Pennsylvania near the Appalachian Trail. It's nothing like the Alps, but I basically did all my long runs on the Appalachian Trail. But now as I look back, I only did long runs. <laughs> <laughs> this is what not to do, folks. I know. You that have been listening to the podcast know that you should always listen to Angie. <laughs> She's a running coach. She's done 68 marathons, and she trains like you're supposed to train. Me, I am just a humble podcaster and <laughs> a lazy bastard. So I basically only did long runs. I call it my long run only plan. So I can see people emailing us for your long run only training plan. <laughs> basically, you take the trail marathon plan from the academy and you ignore every day except the long run day. That's how you do it. <laughs> Well, I, I've known people who have ignored all the long runs. So oh. I would say at least getting the long runs in is admirable. And I, I do remember 
I did one lower body strength training day. And then I was like, all right, that's enough of that. (laughs) Don't want to stress the lower body. Well, of course, um, we did that hike three days before your marathon. Were you sore at all going into this marathon from having done that hike? Uh, A little bit, first couple kilometers, but yeah, it worked itself out because as you're going to hear, most of this is just hiking. Like it's just a grueling death march in the mountains. It's not a lot of running involved for this marathon, at least for me and the people who were back there in my wave. (laughs) (laughs) So you already kind of gave us a spoiler alert that this marathon took you longer than your last marathon in Italy. How did Mount Blanc compare to other trail marathons that you've done? I would say that this marathon has been the hardest so far. Uh, It was harder than my marathon in Italy, which was the hardest up to that point. (laughs) And I think the reason why is because of the heat. It was just warm. And we were exposed to the sun and the heat just really took its toll. As you're going to hear from the sound bites I'm going to play. <laughs> yeah, heat is a really tough element. Oh, yeah. So were you nervous going into it, having previewed the course a little bit on that ride up the mountain we took? Like, what were your feelings going into this race? I think I was nervous until I got to Chamonix. The just excitement around this race. We had met and had dinner with the Mountains and Marathons team and... We had walked around Chamonix and had seen the course uh, finish line, start line set up. I actually started getting like really excited. So it was, it was a nervous energy in a positive way. It wasn't like the dread of, oh man, this is going to hurt. This is going to be hard. It wasn't there. It was more like, man, let's get going. Let's do this. This is awesome. Yeah, as we walked around Chamonix, it was exciting and kind of inspiring because you see runners everywhere and hikers and it's just like part of the culture like people are out there challenging themselves doing hard things and so it kind of feels like yeah that's that's what we should all be doing in fact I kind of felt a little bit left out I'm like oh man I have to stay back with the kids I know (laughs) so what kind of equipment did you bring well besides the mandatory equipment I brought a new hydration vest I found at REI. It's a one and a half liter, a little smaller than I like, but worked well. I do like to wear compression socks. I feel like they preserve my legs. I have a pair of Path Project shorts with the base layer. Man, they are my favorite shorts. Do they help prevent chafing in uncomfortable places? (laughs) Yeah, they're really good. And the pockets are good and the stuff doesn't bounce around. Made by Path Project. And I brought a small roll of electrical tape. Because if I ever get a blister, I'll just tape it up. I also brought my MTA trucker hat, my blue hat, and a pair of Gooder sunglasses to keep the sun off of me. I was wearing Cloud Venture trail shoes that uh, have had a good life and need to be tossed. They've got too many miles on them. <laughs> They're made by On, which is a Swiss company. Yep, of course. Yep, On Cloud Venture. Uh, I was carrying trekking poles. I have a pair made by the company Lecky, Lecky Trekking Poles. And I also bought those at REI years ago. I would not go without them. So I've never used trekking poles before. What are the benefits of using them? Why do you like them so much? I would say that 95% of the people out there had trekking poles. Basically, the, they increase your stability going up and down, You know, especially really technical stuff. They've definitely saved my ass a few times from falling. Um, it does reduce the force on your knees, kind of transfers some of the work to your arms because you're stabilizing yourself with your poles. Therefore, your legs are not doing all of the stabilizing work. So it kind of helps preserve your legs. Plus, when I got tired, I could lean over on them, (laughs) which was a sad sight, but it was nice. 
They could probably be used for self-defense in a tight spot too, right? I guess, yeah. <laughs> and of course, I had my UCAN bars. Uh, big thanks to UCAN for being a faithful sponsor of the show. Uh, I had a bar before my race, and then I took two with me. I basically didn't eat anything else because the heat just made it so nothing looked good at the aid stations. You know, I had water, I had Coca-Cola, but basically all the food just did not look good. I knew I just shouldn't eat it, but um, I was able to keep using the UCAM bars. They're really gentle on the stomach. And of course, that's why we love them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was when I heard what you had done for your fueling, I was like, you made it for almost 10 hours on three UCAN bars. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing. Um, but we've heard from many people um, about how UCAN has really helped them during their races. Uh, Pat recently told us that he did his 20th marathon, the Seabrook Lucky Trails Marathon in Texas. He finished in 450, which made him play second in his age group of age 65 to 69. And he said, I ran strong the entire time with UCAN with a faster second half. Yeah, I'm so glad we've turned a lot of people onto it. It just works. And of course, you can get 20% off with the code MTA. If you go to youcan.co, use the code MTA for 20% off. And I just want to give a shout out to another podcast sponsor, um, Tonry Outdoors. Uh, They make sunscreen. The sun was so brutal uh, on us that day. If I didn't slather up really good with sunscreen, I would have been in a lot of trouble. And the good thing about Tonry, it's made for runners, by runners. It doesn't come off when you sweat. I was out in the sun for like 10 hours and uh, didn't get a sunburn. I was kind of expecting you to come back looking really red like you have during past races, and you didn't. So it really testifies how Tonry works. And as runners, we do spend a lot of time outdoor in the sun. That's especially evident in the summertime when the sun is hot and intense. And it is so important that you protect your skin because um, skin cancer and all sorts of skin damage can occur just through a couple of sunburns. Yeah, I wouldn't think of doing a race in the summer or a trail marathon or something at elevation without sunscreen. And like I said, Tonry is made for runners, by runners. Check them out at Tonry. That's T-A-N-R-I, Tonry.com. All right, morning of the Mount Blanc Marathon. Looks like we're going to have good weather, but uh, just beautiful here in Chamonix. You can see Mount Blanc, snow covered, see the glacier. Of course, lots of runners walking toward the uh, starting line. Les règles du jeu elles sont simples. Vous avez un temps max de 10 heures pour franchir la ligne d'arrivée ici même et avaler les 42 kilomètres et les 2500 mètres de dénivelé. The rules are simple. You have 10 hours to complete the course of 42 kilometers and 2500 meters of vertical. Bonne course à tous. Enjoy the race, everybody. Not so bad. So take us to race morning and describe it for us. What was your process that you went through? My wave didn't start till 8 a.m. And as I got close to the starting area, there was just great energy. And the race organizers did a good job of pumping everybody up. And uh, they were making announcements in French. And then someone would translate into English, which was really nice. Okay, and here's something, Angie, that that you would have noticed. (laughs) There was like five toilets for like 2,000 people. That totally blows my mind. And you said <laughs> along the course that you didn't see any porta pots either. No, I don't remember any. I'm like, what do people do? Just, I don't know. Like go in their pants? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've done a handful of these marathons now in the Alps, and you just don't see like 
a bank of porta pots like you would in a, in a race in the States. As you can imagine, uh, with only five, those things were hammered, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is a tip if you are doing a race in Europe or often, you know, many places that don't have adequate port-a-pots for a race, bring your own toilet paper because often if you get a -a port-a-pot, they will not have toilet paper. It's a good tip. Bring what you need to take care of business. That's right. For these trail runs. Like the race website says, you have to be autonomous for several hours. (laughs) Okay. And that includes all matters of the body. That's right. They're not going to put up with your crap. (laughs) So you said the energy at the starting line was really awesome. Tell us what the course was like. Well, it's beautiful, as one can imagine. So we ran through the valley for a couple kilometers, and at this point, no one's walking because we haven't really started climbing yet. And I was actually looking forward to the climbing, like starting to go up. So you could walk? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, just hike. You know, I love to hike. Right. All right, a couple kilometers in, basically running along the valley floor. Some roads, some trails. Beautiful day. I'm already sweating profusely, so got to keep drinking water and keep up with my electrolyte intake. But uh, it's a great day to be on the trails. Sure enough, we started climbing at about 3.5 kilometers, and we just went up and up and up. And uh, it wasn't bad because it was in the shade. Earlier morning, it's probably on the cooler side. Yeah. People were moving along, you know, it was it was kind of congested. Actually, the whole time it was kind of congested. It was different than my marathon in Italy where I was like by myself for long, long stretches. Uh, There's always people around, you know, we're kind of like ants going up this mountain until finally we reached 7,218 feet or 2,200 meters, a spot on the map that was called Col de Posette. And the climb, of course, was hard, but it was just stunningly beautiful we were high above the tree line we were climbing single file up the ridge of a mountain you could see the jagged snow-covered peaks of the mont blanc group uh you could see far below down in the valley floor the town of chamonix where we'd all come from and i knew that we had to descend back down there just to get to the halfway point all right and then you, you can look across the valley to this next mountain and i knew that we're gonna have to climb that one and then come down again to get to the finish line so we had just done like the hardest climb of the whole race and we're not even halfway done yet. Did it feel demoralizing? It kind of did. It kind of felt just enormous. Like the task was enormous, but I was feeling good. You know, people were moving really slow. It's, it's single file. The track is really narrow and you kind of had to wait your turn sometimes to go around these rock faces. People were sitting down where they could and I saw one lady who was seated and just crying. Like, I don't know what was going on, but you know, she'd already, I guess, decided that she wasn't going to make it that day and was just distraught so yeah it was starting to get real but when we finally hit the top people were just taking pictures and resting it was just spectacularly beautiful and you can see pictures of it of course on our instagram or um on the website oh okay that was rough we just climbed a wicked steep (laughs) mountain single file now pretty sure we gotta go down and up another mountain beautiful up here though so at what point did you hit the first aid station or checkpoint 
Yeah, so I hit that at about 13.5 kilometers, and I beat the the first cutoff. I think there was two hours and 45 minutes is what you had to make it to that one, and so I was doing pretty good. I, I rolled through there with an hour to spare. So you're feeling at that point like, yeah, I got this. It's going to be a cinch. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and then we started running down, just down, down, down. If you look at the course profile, it's like a triangle, like Angie called it, like a heart rate monitor. We went up, and now we're going down. Epic day to be in the Alps. Now we're going downhill, which is much preferable. We'll check in later. I really enjoy running downhill. So the second checkpoint was just over a half marathon. It was 23.5 kilometers in the village of Valorcine. And it was really set up nicely. It felt like a finishing line. You're running through crowds of people standing on, you know, both sides of the course cheering. And in France, they, they go, LA, LA, LA. And uh, it's funny because like at every Alpine race I've done, they, they've yelled something different. <laughs> so here in France, they were saying, LA, LA, LA. So we go through and pass under this inflatable arch. And it almost felt like a finish line. I'm like, wait, is this it? <laughs> <laughs> you wish. All right, rolled through the halfway point, through this little village. After coming down off the mountain, rigorous switchbacks, I uh, beat the cutoff by, I don't know, 50 minutes, almost an hour. Thank you. Thank you. Now we're going across the pasture, and then we're gonna go straight up the mountain again. This will be the ultimate test. Feeling good though. Check in with you later. And it was after this that we went along the valley floor and there was no escape from the sun, no more trees to run through. So everyone really started slowing down. I walked large portions of this and it was interesting because to cross the road, they set up a uh, temporary pedestrian overpass. Wow, that's interesting. The scaffolding you had to climb up. It almost (laughs) felt like a Spartan race. (laughs) So once we crossed over the valley... Then we're going to go up the other mountain. At this point, the race gets grueling because there's no more shade. That side of the mountain is just exposed to the sun. It's not that it was that hot. You know, it probably was in the 70s. But with the constant climbing and uh, no wind, it just got really hot. And when you're at that altitude, there's something about the air being thinner and it feels like the sun is a lot more intense. At least that's my experience. So this is probably the toughest climb that I've ever dealt with in a marathon. It was just really hard to will my body forward. Like at this point, everyone's walking, you know? Were you like questioning your life choices? (laughs) I was. It was like at this point, I'm like, what am I doing out here? (laughs) Why do I even do this? I I obviously struggle through the whole thing. You got to get through that negative space in your head at every marathon, right? Right, exactly. And and even at half marathons. But runners were sitting down. Uh, There'd be a a spot of shade, like with one tree, and uh, runners were sitting down and taking breaks in the shade. I held off for quite a while doing that because Angie, I know out of principle, you would never do that. (laughs) But I did find myself maybe like three times during this race, like having a quick sit on a rock in the shade. (laughs) But sometimes just to catch my breath, and rest from like the constant climbing, I would just lean over on my trekking poles. Okay, that was miserable, I'm not gonna lie. We just went up this mountain for the last hour. Merciless, up, up. Not a lot of shade in the sun. Uh, It's really taking its toll. I feel like I need to 
stick my head in a bucket of ice water or a cold creek somewhere. That was a total grind. That really sucked. That was one of those sections where I'm like, why am I doing this? Ah, there were tons of people sitting down. I admit I sat down for like 30 seconds. It felt good. But I got to keep moving. So catch you later. So I finally came to that mountain stream that I was uh, dreaming about. And uh, runners were drinking straight from it. I still had plenty of water in my hydration pack from when I rolled through the last checkpoint. But I did drink from the waterfall. I thought to myself, why not? When in the Alps, drink from the waterfall, huh? Yeah. Wouldn't recommend it in a lot of areas of the world, but... It must be safe there because people were doing it. <laughs> I guess so. So we continued to climb and uh, we made it up to 1,700 meters, which is 5,577 feet. Then there was a short downhill section. Of course, it's really technical and rocky. And I heard a runner yelling in pain up ahead. I could tell it was a man and... I'm like, oh man, something bad has happened to this guy. So I finally reached the scene and he had fallen Ooh. and I think hit a tree. And he was just like sprawled out on the ground. His poles were on the ground, you know, sort of flung about. And some runners were around him helping him. Uh, some people had cell phone service, so they were calling for help. But yeah, this guy looked like he had taken a fall and probably hit his shin or his, his femur bone against a tree. Ooh, that sounds brutal. And I imagine it's not easy for rescuers to get to some of those sections. So at approximately a 30K point, we started climbing up again. And when I looked up, Angie, I could see nothing but endless mountain. Because <laughs> you know when you're in the mountains, there's always these false summits. Mm -hmm. Like, that must be the top. We're almost there. When you get up there, it's like, oh, we're not almost there. <laughs> Remember that hike to the lake with the kids? Yes. They, like, gave up because it kept being just over that hill. <laughs> so when I looked up, all I could see was nothing but endless mountain. And I really didn't know how far up the course would go. Like, when would we actually stop climbing? <laughs> but you just had to keep pushing forward, even making small progress. I was probably doing, like, 20-minute miles. Because in the back of your mind, I'm sure you're thinking, like, there's cutoffs, and I don't want to risk missing them. Yeah. Just have to force your forward. That's right. So I started to hear noise about an upcoming aid station and it was it was great news, like the best news I'd heard all day because I was longing for some cold water, like to splash on my face, to dump on my head, to fill up my pack. So I got close to the La Fligere checkpoint, uh, which was a cable car stop. This was at 34.2 kilometers. And I heard a volunteer who spoke English and he told me uh, it was only 600 meters and I'd be there. So I'm like, oh, great, great. So I keep going, I keep going. I'm like, huh, I don't know how far 600 meters is. Because <laughs> it's still a long ways away. Well, finally, I came through the tree line and I could look up and I could see the La Fligere checkpoint. But it was like up this impossible gravel road with like more switchbacks and climbing. I'm like, no. <laughs> oh. It was so close yet so far away. And just to get up this gravel road, I had to like stop and rest several times. <laughs> wow, <clears throat> I'm exhausted. Just beat, beat to hell. And uh, <clears throat> 600 meters to the last checkpoint and aid station. Oh. I've never been so happy to reach an aid station. I can hear the cheering up there. <sighs> I'm gonna make it. 
gonna make it. I'm so thankful for the volunteers at these checkpoints. And when I finally made it up there, crossed the little timing mat, there was a French guy who was taking a, a sponge, dumping it in a bucket of cold water and just like sponging water on your head and on your face. Oh, nice. It felt so good. Yeah, that sounds perfect. All right. That aid station was so refreshing. Cold water, cold electrolyte drink. Coca-Cola and uh, sat down in the shade, talked to some British guys and said, how, how far we got left? He said, you're at the 36.4K mark. And it's just all downhill now. Back to Chamonix. And then one of them was from, one guy was from Scotland and he said, keep cracking on. So that's what I'm gonna do. Almost fell right there. <laughs> all right. Keep cracking on. So I rolled through. I uh, drank some some cold Coca-Cola, which tasted really well. Still didn't have an appetite. Didn't eat anything. They had like cheese and meat and bread and cookies and mm. and you're like, mm. <laughs> I I love to eat even during races. I'm like could probably be one of those people who spent too much time at the aid station. <laughs> Well, I spent a long time there, but it was because I started laying down in the shade, Uh oh, <laughs> which a lot of people were doing. So like I said, thankfully the four miles were mostly downhill and I was able to run much of it. And I was just overtaking runner after runner. I do enjoy running downhill. We were still on the single track uh, trail, so there wasn't a whole lot of room to pass. And sometimes you get stuck behind a group of people that were going slow. But most of the time though, runners would move to the side as they heard me come from behind. Sometimes I'd have to say, excusez-moi, which is just about all the French I know. <laughs> so I'm going down the trail at what feels like a pretty good clip. Like, I'm sure if I watched the replay, like, I'd be like, wow, this is really slow and boring. <laughs> but I felt like I was moving really fast. I was passing everybody pretty much because I started kind of getting close to the cutoff and getting a little nervous that I wasn't going to make it. Once you get to town, you, you actually there's like a little loop that you have to do. You get really close to the finishing line. You can hear all the excitement, and then they send you out around this block and then back. So I did walk a little bit. But once I saw the finish line, I started running. Crossed that thing in 9 hours, 47 minutes, and 33 seconds. Beat the 10-hour cutoff. Oh, yeah. Jen from Mountains and Marathons was there to greet me. I probably look like death. <laughs> I, I just shuffled on through to the post race sort of uh, drink area where they had cold water and I just sat down on a bench and didn't move for maybe like 15 minutes. I thought you were going to say that you got a cold beer and then sat down and didn't move. Well, the line was too long for that. So. <laughs> You're even too tired to stand in line, huh? <laughs> All right, I made it with about 11 minutes to spare, to spare before the cutoff. So I'm feeling good. Looking at the clock, runners that are out there have less than four minutes. It's getting down to the wire. I was curious to see like who would squeak in under 10 hours because where I was seated at, you could see the countdown clock and the finish line. But really what happened was after 10 hours had passed, people were still coming through and they were still giving them medals. 
So they may not have gotten official finish time, but they still got a medal. No, I think they got a finish time. I think the organizers just sort of were gracious about it. And I did hear a story later that the last finisher was a guy in his 70s. And basically the people who were cleaning up the course and taking down the course markers sort of walked with this guy and, you know, motivated him to get across the finish line. He was the last guy. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So after you watched those final few finishers come in, did you eat or drink anything special for a post-race celebration? They were having a uh, pizza party at the Mountains and Marathons house that they rented. So went back up there and met with all the folks from that team. Got to hear how it went for everybody. There were two or three people uh, who had done that as their first marathon. That's phenomenal. I know. When I was sitting in the finish area, one of the Mountains and Marathons people, uh, a guy named Jeff, came through. Uh, he finished after I did, and he sat down, and we chatted, and he's like, man, he says, I've, I've done 50 milers. I've done, I forget how many marathons he said. He's done a lot of marathons. He's like, this shouldn't be called a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't even resemble a marathon. This is like an ultra marathon. Yeah. So I'm so happy I did the Marathon du Mont Blanc, and I highly recommend it if you can get into it. My motto is, you know, do some epic stuff. That's right. And the final thing I want to do is play a soundbite with Jamin from Mountains and Marathon. Jamin is a, a guy who really is pursuing a life of adventure. He does epic stuff, and uh, I'll play that for you in a second. First, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Boulderthon in Boulder, Colorado. Of course, we're talking about a marathon in France today, but if you can't make it to France, you should go to Colorado. Boulder is an extremely beautiful area, and you can join the Boulder community, which is one of the greatest health meccas in the U.S. They have a marathon, half marathon, 10K, and kids run, and it happens this year on October 9th, 2022. And you can get $20 off the marathon or half marathon registration if you use the code MTA20. Yeah, it finishes right in downtown Boulder, Colorado, a really cool place. Check them out at boulderthon.org. That's boulder and then thon, boulderthon.org to jump into the October 9th event. Full marathon, half marathon, 10K, and kids run. Boulderthon.org. Use the code MTA20 for 20% off. And thanks also to our new sponsor, Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus. You know, one thing it's important to do is take care of your joints as a runner. Joint Health Plus is a supplement that delivers ingredients that are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief available on the market. You know, when I was talking to David, one of the, the founders of Prevenex, one thing that really impressed me was the amount of research and clinical studies that have gone into um, the formulation of Joint Health Plus. That's right. The main active ingredient in the Joint Health Plus is something called NEM. It's clinically proven to reduce joint pain, joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in 7 to 10 days. And it's clinically proven to protect joint cartilage from breakdown during exercise. It's found to be up to five times more beneficial than glucosamine and chondroitin alone or in combination. It also contains boswellin, a powerful, natural, and clinically proven anti-inflammatory and pain reliever that helps provide additional support for joints. And as most people know, it's really important not to be taking anti-inflammatory drugs because they can have a lot of unpleasant side effects on the body. And so something like Joint Health Plus is something good you can do for your body. Yeah, I've been definitely taking it after this brutal mountain marathon, and my joints are feeling good enough to go out and do a half marathon uh, six days later. Awesome. Now we need to go find some more hikes to take the kids on. (laughs) 
since my joints are feeling so good. So you can save 15% on your order by visiting Prevenex.com and using the code MTA. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X, Prevenex.com. It has a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you don't feel the benefits within 30 days, you can return the product, no questions asked. Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA. Hey, I'm here with Jamin Heppel, one of the leaders of Mountains and Marathons. Jamin, you got a, a really cool story. So maybe let's go back to the beginning and like, what gave you the, the idea to do something like this, to have a leadership program and to center it around mountains and marathons? Yeah, Trevor. So the foundation of Mountains and Marathons, it actually stemmed from a really challenging point in time in my, my life. Um, Back in 2016, I was in deep burnout, and at that mm. stage, I was running uh, three independent leadership development companies back home in Australia, and kind of doing 16-hour days, six days a week, and just really not taking care of myself. And you know, I was in my mid-20s at the time, and I knew that athletics, having been such a, a big part of my upbringing, I, at the moment, am not discovering what I'm physically capable of. And yeah. so when I had this burnout, I had a simple but profound epiphany, which was a recognition that everything that I was suffering from was actually my own creation. Hmm. And so then I, I thought, okay, well, if I created all of this suffering, then I can create my way out of it. So I asked myself the question, I was just like, if I could do or create anything in the world right now, what would I actually want to do? And yeah. then within five minutes, this vision came through and it was, I'd be running marathons, climbing mountains, traveling the world, transforming my life and working out some way to help other people do the same. And so following that, I, uh, I spent three hours just downloading this, this big grand vision. And then the next day I phoned my parents and best friends and business partners and said, hey guys, in two years, I'm going to be heading out of Australia uh, and I'm on a mission to run a marathon and climb a mountain on every continent. And I'm sharing this both as a, as a declaration and also to give you guys uh, two years to prepare yourselves for my departure. <laughs> so that was a powerful question to get, get unstuck in your thinking mm. and to uh, facilitate action. And I've used questions like that in my own life. I'm struck with just how powerful that question was. Mm. Um, did you have a vision for the leadership program at that point and just putting together the mountains and marathons idea? Mm -hmm. So, um, so what actually happened is after I got connected to that vision, six months later, I met Jenny. And so Jenny is the co-founder of Mountains and Marathons and a really core part of what we do. Definitely. And uh, she had had, a, had a, a lot of experience in leadership coaching and leadership training. So when the two of us began to date uh, romantically, I shared about her, I shared with her about the vision of Mountains and Marathons. And initially she was a little reserved and a bit hesitant because she'd never ran a marathon before, and neither had I. She'd never, more, she'd never ran more than five kilometers, whereas I'd already done a couple of half marathons. So I had a sense of what I may have been capable of, um, but Jenny had very much a, a, a lot of limiting beliefs around what she was physically capable of. And she just crushed it today at the Mount Blanc Marathon. That's right. And so did you. Yeah, and so, so this was Jenny's 10th marathon in the last four years. Amazing. Yeah, crushed it. And so, yeah, so she's very inspiring. And, and inside of what we do, I guess, I like to push the edge and go for, you know, the big grand moving more into the ultra space uh, and I guess serve as that beacon of, of, of inspiration and possibility, whereas Jen is kind of like... Um, I guess I'm kind of like Angie and you're kind of, and, and, and Jen's more like Trevor. Okay. <laughs> as far as the, uh, you normalize the, uh, yeah. the, the marathon running scene and, and Angie kind of pushes the envelope and that's, um, that's kind of the dynamic that Jenny and I have. Definitely. But um, yeah, so Jenny and I, when we were exploring what 
we actually wanted to create, we knew that we wanted to build something that, that married a number of our passions. And so uh, leadership, leadership training, coaching, this was a big part of our background. And then also uh, this really strong hunger for adventure and, and testing, in my case, testing physical boundaries and discovering what we're truly capable of. And so when we kind of pulled out the, 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 the butcher's paper and stuck it on the wall and said, okay, what do we want to build here? We really looked at what are the key themes that we're really passionate about and then how may we be able to create a business model that actually threads and marries these yeah. themes together. That's awesome. So I'm really impressed by your community. There's about 20 folks here at the house and they're just so positive and most everyone ran today. Some people ran this marathon as their first marathon. So you talked him into that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're really good at making people uh, think big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it's kind of the heart of what Mountains and Marathons is about. It's it's really about getting people in touch with the possibility that they are for the world and what they can live into. Yeah. And so we design our, our aligned leadership program. It's a six-month transformational leadership program that graduates by running a marathon or climbing a mountain. Yeah. And so for many people, if you've never ran a marathon or climbed a mountain before, regardless of what you're navigating in life, the, the simple consistency and commitment to following through on the training yeah. and preparing yourself psychologically, physically, spiritually to take on that kind of challenge is in and of itself transformative. And it opens up a whole new worlds of possibility once people do that. So Definitely. Yeah. Well, you're really great at connecting with people. And something I heard you say at the dinner was, uh, thank you for honoring your yes. Can you explain what that means? Mm. Well, I think, you know, in life we receive invitations and there's something inside and how I would describe it is like there's something inside our body that feels expansive when we're invited into certain things. Yeah. And there are some things that feel constricting. Mm. And sometimes... You can feel it physically. You can feel it physically. Yeah. Yeah. And often, though, what can happen is the body may be a yes, but the mind starts to go, oh, but what, you know, that's mm. going to mean I'm going to need to take time off. And, like, the mind can kind of get in the way of honoring the yes because all of, like, the logistics or what will people think can get in the way. Yeah. And so, yeah, at the dinner when I was celebrating everyone around the table for honoring their yes, um, it was really acknowledging that part of them that felt that, that hell yes in their body mm. and then trusted that such that they were then willing to take all the pragmatic actions to book flights and take time off work and ultimately fly over and be with us here in Chamonix. Yeah, love it. So another cool thing is that you guys attract a lot of beginners, people who have never run a marathon into the program. And so what do you think the reason for that is people like just really looking for a life change and, and also wanting to get more fit? Yeah, I think there's something inside the, and you would get this entirely, Trevor, is, is just the nature of people get connected to who would I have to become to run a marathon? Sure. And so that, you know, for many people can be really, it can activate all kinds of fear and uncertainty, but there is a kind of an inner knowingness of like the, the, the person who, who, who runs a marathon um, is not who I am now. Sure. And, and, and so inside of that, when we talk about facilitating a, a holistic life transformation, part of that is the health component. You know, part is relationships, part is work related, part is finance, part is spiritual. You know, we integrate all of these hmm. um, key life themes into the aligned leadership curriculum. And 
the common thread inside all of it is the consistent training and preparation for this marathon. And the reality is, is that those who have never run a marathon before, knowing that they've got accountability, they've got great coaches, you know, and we obviously partner with, with MTA, with, with Cindy, our marathon coach yeah. who supports all of our members to, in many cases, run their first marathon. And Cindy's amazing at meeting them exactly where they're at and sure they feel held and supported and guided every step of the way to feel confident to, to run their first marathon. And We should say that everyone's training for Patagonia Marathon. That's right. So you guys go to just epic places to run marathons and climb mountains. Um, Yeah, it really is about people stepping into a possibility for who they can be in the world. Definitely. And that's what we're all about too, you know. Exactly. You have what it takes. And that's why this partnership's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Because it really is. It's calling for people to step into a bigger uh, and more inspiring version of of themselves. And not to be inspiring to other people, but to be inspired by yourself. Sure. Like, this is who I get to be in the world. Um, and we find that running a marathon or climbing a mountain is a beautiful way of both holding people accountable and celebrating hard work over the course of six months. Yeah. So, so it culminates in running a marathon in a beautiful place, a challenging marathon, or climbing a mountain like Kilimanjaro. <laughs> and you just you climb it just for fun by yourself. You know, you must have a special connection to the mountain. Yeah, Kilimanjaro is a really, it's a really sacred place, um, mm. generally, and, and, a, and a, holds a really, really special um, spiritual place in, in my heart. I've had many, many, many really significant um, epiphanies and, and unforgettable moments in my life take place on that mountain, and it's, it's, uh, That's awesome. it's one of those places in the world that I definitely encourage all people to get over to Tanzania yeah. and get to experience the magic of the mountain. How long does it take to go up it? Seven days is recommended. Um, wow. And the primary reason for that is it's not so much about how far it is, it's more to do with navigating the elevation. Yeah. Because when, when you get up into the altitude, it's really important for the body to acclimatize. Yeah. So, um, and, and naturally, the more time you spend on the mountain acclimatizing, it increases the likelihood of being able to get to the top. And how, how tall is it? Kilimanjaro, uh, I'll do it in meters and feet. So in meters, it's 5,895 meters, uh, which is 19,000 feet. Nice. Uh, so it's fairly, it's fairly up there. Um, yeah. And it's just an absolutely wild adventure and it threads in such rich culture from the local people who are the porters on the mountain who mm. support in really meaningful ways to ensure that everyone who steps foot on the mountain is given both the best safety uh, as well as the greatest chance of, of getting to the top. That's awesome. Okay, so one more question. How would you define living aligned kind of in a nutshell? Uh, so the core of living aligned is really about honoring and living congruent with our truth. It's an invitation for people to really get connected to what do they really know is true for them. Mm -hmm. And that can be really confronting. Let's say if you really feel into it, maybe my current career is misaligned. Maybe my current relationship is misaligned. Maybe uh, the way in which I'm showing up in my faith or religion is not congruent with who I'm committed to being. Mm-hmm. And so really living aligned, it's an invitation to listen into where am I currently living deeply congruent with my truth and where am I not? Which kind of goes back to your story. You weren't living aligned when you were burned out, but you guys uh, have found the core of what lights you up, what fires you up. I'm really impressed with what you guys have built and the community. Yeah, the people are so awesome that are at this retreat. It's been an honor for us to provide the run coaching for the various programs. And so what's the next one coming up? If people want to find out more about the leadership program and uh, where, where can we send them? 
Nice. Thanks, Trevor. So uh, our next program is the Mount Everest Base Camp Aligned Leadership Program. Wow. It's going to be centered in Nepal. So the, the nice. six, yeah, it's, it's going to be epic. We did it. We did this one back in 2019. Um, and so we learned a lot. Go about, big or go home. Yeah, man. That's right. Exactly. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, so we learned it. We, we, it was extraordinary. We learned a lot from that that first experience. And so we're very excited to be getting back to Nepal as a, as a graduate retreat. And so as far as dates go, uh, it kicks off in October. And then the... Uh, the climb is a 10-day retreat and that happens in March next year. All right. Where can we send them if they want to sign up or learn more? Cool. If they just go to www.mountainsandmarathons.world, there'll be a link to check out the, um, the Everest Base Camp Align Leadership Program. Perfect. Great talking to you, Jamin. Great to meet you in person. Thank you so much for hooking me up with a race injury to the Mount Block Marathon. I wasn't thanking you out there today so much at some points <laughs> when the course was kicking my ass, but, uh, but we're done and we're, we're, we're seated in our right minds and we've just had some, some great pizza. So now I really appreciate it. So <laughs> keep up the great work, dude. So good. Thank you, Trevor. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful to connect in person. All right, so cool to talk to Jamin. It's fun to meet people after you've only known them online. And uh, just other times on this trip, we've gotten to hang out with really cool people. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're in Hungary right now, and I did a half marathon. And so I want to tell you more about that on our next episode. But uh, thanks for listening to this race recap. It's so awesome to be on this running journey with you. And if we can help you in any way, please reach out. We've got a contact form on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. And of course, always remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way, right on my way.